This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing and a drive! Swing, there's a shot! High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Playing the miss, he struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski, gone! And late night Lamont strikes again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, Parker. With Adam Copeland. Welcome back into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. Thanks for joining us again this week. Another good episode for you coming up today. We are going to talk to Kerry Crowley, a good friend of mine. You hear him on weekends uh, before San Francisco Giants baseball games over on KNBR 104.5 and 680. Spent some time with Marty Lurie and with former Giant Bill Lasky. They do a great job setting you up for your Giants radio broadcast. Also covered the Giants as a beat writer for a number of years for the San Jose Mercury News. So we'll pick his brain about the first half of this season for the Giants. And it really is the first half. The Giants play their 81st game of the season on Thursday night. Oddly enough, the first time this year that they're going down to Petco Park, oddly enough, first time this year they went to Arizona on Monday, July the 4th. Feels to me like that's late in the season to be playing an opponent in your division for the first time, but it also means you're going to get a whole lot of games against those opponents late in the season. Something to pay attention to for the Giants if you start to think about where they could end up as far as the playoff picture goes. And I know that over the last... I don't know, let's call it a week and a half. And really, when things started to go a little bit south, uh, record-wise for the Giants, defensive-wise for the Giants, they lost a couple of guys at some shallow positions. Obviously, Brandon Crawford went on the uh, the injured list and then returned in Arizona, came back on Tuesday night, hit a nice double, so it was good to see him back out there and uh, and back in the lineup and, and uh, doing some damage with the bat, with that gap-to-gap power that he's got. It, things started to go sour for the Giants a little bit uh, when they were in Pittsburgh. That last day in Pittsburgh, the walk-off home run from there, and then things just sort of spiraled. The day before that, they were 10 games over 500. So this team has it in them to be able to go out and build a lead and compete within this division with a couple of powerhouse teams like the Dodgers, who obviously were picked uh, by many experts, experts, I'm putting air quotes up, when I say that, to go out and, uh, and win the World Series this year. Also, the Padres, who I think, I don't want to say people forgot about them, but because they fell off last year and there were high expectations around them, and because the Giants were so dangerous and did so much damage and did everything right in 2021, I think people sort of forgot about the Padres. Also, they've been missing their biggest piece, Fernando Tatis Jr., who will return at some point later this season, but they're still sitting comfortably ahead of the Giants as it stands right now. Something I think about a lot with baseball, uh, it, it's, it's such a day-to-day grind, right? And that's really the beauty of it, I think, as a fan. I've talked so much about that, that it's like your summertime family. Every year, you let these guys and and the broadcasters and the players and their personalities in these games into your home, into your car when you're listening to them. It's a companion sport. It's the most beautiful thing about baseball. 
By the way, I say the most beautiful thing about baseball. You'll probably hear me say that over the course of the uh, the different podcasts we record throughout this season, a dozen different times about different things. So this is one element that is one of the most beautiful things about baseball is that it is a companion sport. You can throw it on the radio. You can go out and garden. My grandma loves to do that, listen to games and, and be out in the garden. You can be taking care of stuff around the house and keep an eye on the game because the pace of it is so different. You could never sit back and or, or uh, just kind of throw the basketball game on TV and maybe check back in on the Warriors periodically. You'd be missing big chunks of the game. And in baseball, it sort of sets itself up where you know when a player is in scoring position. You're aware that a big batter is at the plate or that this is a tense moment. So you can make yourself available. But the beauty of it being a companion sport is also the thing that makes it so stressful when the teams that we love are not performing at the level that we're hoping they'll perform at. I would say this about the Giants. And the day-to-day over the last week and a half has been frustrating because there have not been many wins and there has not been much offense. The takeaway here is we saw them get out to a 10-game over 500 stretch, like I said, in that second game in Pittsburgh. By the way, they actually won that series. They were 10 games over 500 at that point, and we also saw some brilliance from different parts of the lineup. I'm talking about guys like uh, Lamont Wade Jr., who two different times has come off the injured list and come back to a game and hit a home run, did so on his bobblehead day last week. We saw Carlos Rodon make his debut as a Giant and uh, and then had a, a little bit of a tough May and came right back in the month of June and was one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, the Cy Young candidate that we saw from the Chicago White Sox last year. A really encouraging one is Logan Webb, who last season in the second half, when Kevin Gossman started the year, uh, or started the second half actually, Giants were out in St. Louis and Gossman was in the All-Star game and then had a family emergency, had to go be with his family. Logan Webb then emerged as the ace of the staff and when you see a guy do that for a half of a season and then even into the playoffs and I don't think anybody doubted Logan Webb based on his makeup, based on the stuff that he has. He's not a blow-you-away, 98-99, 100-mile-an-hour guy. He's a guy who pitches to contact. He can get ground balls. He can get a strikeout when he needs to. And he's a bulldog out there on the mound. His makeup and his his ability to carry himself like an ace and to be a professional and to act sort of like a veteran. He, he has a, a big veteran presence about him, does Logan Webb. But because we saw that from him in the first half of this season, it lets you know this is a guy who's here to stay. That wasn't a fluke. That wasn't a lightning in a bottle situation last year we saw uh, Elliot Ramos make his debut for the Giants earlier this season and we haven't seen extended playing time from him and I think the hope is that he can still become close to if not an everyday player for this organization down the stretch for a guy you draft or sign at 16 years old you really hope that by the time he gets here at a pretty young age and and he does have some really really good tools as a, a speedy defender as a guy who's got some pop in the bat we'll just see how that translates to the big league level but there are some pieces here some things that we saw this first half the 81 games or 80 games we saw before the midway point that show you this Giants team while they've hit a bit of a stretch here that has not been good it's not necessarily who they are there are some things that have been problems for them since the start of the year things like defense they've got to clean up and when things go bad for you in baseball it seems like the the world is against you like the baseball gods have turned their back on you like you can't pull yourself out of anything bad and that's where the Giants are right now. But I talked to uh, to Hunter Pence earlier this week. Uh, he made a big deal about simplifying things. You want to get to a situation where you stop thinking about the losses, stop thinking about, oh no, what can go wrong here, and start getting back on the right foot. And because there are so many veterans in this clubhouse, guys like Longoria, who landed on the injured list actually on Wednesday afternoon, and that brought Joey Bart back up from the minors. Guys like uh, Brandon Belt and uh, Brandon Crawford, who's off the injured list. Uh, all, of, all of those guys who have been around, who have won championships, sure, but who understand what 
what it's like to go through the ebbs and flows of a season. I, I mean, as Giants fans, I think we remember the World Championships, obviously, 10, 12, and 14. But what about the off years? The odd years, I should say, where they did not make the playoffs. There were some down years there. Bruce Bochy didn't win every season that he was in San Francisco. You've got to learn how to get through it when you're not playing your best baseball. And so for some of these young guys, Joey Bart, this is going to be a test for him as he comes back to the bigs and see with that revamped swing, if when he goes up and does not have a good at bat, how you react to that at bat, how you adjust for the next time up. Baseball is a game of adjustments. They're adjusting to you. You're adjusting to them. And the Giants will need an adjustment in the second half of the season if they want to make a playoff push. And the other thing about this is they're really not out of it. They're not completely out of it. Yes, they, the Dodgers pulled out to a 10-and-a-half game lead following Tuesday night's loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Ten-and-a-half games in the National League West, that is. There's a third wild card team this year. It may not take you 92 or 93 or 95 wins to get into the playoffs this season. Now, in the West last year, where the Giants go 107 and the Dodgers go 106 and the Padres were still dangerous, especially early on last season. We saw a lot of big games between them and the Dodgers. When you've got a, a stacked division like that, it makes it a little bit more difficult. The Giants are not necessarily in that position, and the National League is not quite as deep as the American League is. Entering Wednesday's game, the finale in Arizona, the Giants were just two games behind that third wild card spot, behind the Phillies and behind the St. Louis Cardinals, who they still are going to see more of later this season. So, my heart bleeds black and orange, just like everybody else's. And when you go up and down with the team all throughout the six-month season, and even more than that when it starts out in spring training, and if you get to the playoffs, you sometimes get to carry it into November, if you're lucky. These are the times you remember. These are the Giants baseball torture. These are the moments that you earn your crowd to candlestick, and you earn your badge of fandom for the Giants. you got to get through the tough times, because when you go through those dark forests, that's where fairy tales come from, right? That's what makes baseball beautiful. So, it's been a frustrating last couple of weeks for the Giants, sure, I'm confident enough that they've got tools that can turn this thing around because we've literally already seen it this year. I don't know that they're uh, they're going to turn it around so much that they have a 700 winning percentage and win 107. I don't think that's the anticipation, but that's not what they need. They can stay in the thick of things, and if you're in it, rolling into that last month of the season into September, that's all any baseball fan wants is meaningful baseball. So Lamont Wade Jr. back for a full second half. That's the hope. Luis Gonzalez began a rehab stint on Wednesday uh, down in Sacramento, so the hope is that he'll be back to help out just a little bit. As I mentioned, Evan Longoria went on the injured list, and that brought Joey Bart back up to the big league roster. So now the Giants are carrying three catchers, but Yermin Mercedes has stepped in as a, a DH over the last week or so uh, since he got called up from Sacramento. One more thing I want to hit on, and these are things that make a big difference. And oftentimes it's not a guy who's going to show up from the minors and hit 35 home runs and, and be Ryan Howard in 2008 or whenever he got to the big leagues, 2007, and was immediately impactful. It's not necessarily going to be Buster Posey taking you to a world championship. But bringing in fresh faces, bringing in new blood, bringing in guys who can step into, into the middle of a lineup and make a difference for you and also have some versatility, that can change the complexion of a team. You see it at the trade deadline all the time. Teams that go out and they pick up a guy who shows up and injects life into that clubhouse. Yet again, Hunter Pence was one of those guys. You think back, well, more Giants who have done that. 2002, Kenny Lofton was one of those guys. A guy who was literally a spark plug at the top of the lineup, but also a spark plug for the organization. Rookies often don't have that sort of same vocal leadership, but if they carry themselves and they can, and they can perform and do the duty that's asked of them and maybe become a player that's a contributor day-to-day, -day, those are things that can change a team big time. And David Villar is the guy the Giants have turned to this time around. It doesn't look like he's a guy who's just a one-off coming up to help out a little bit during an injury. He earned his spot to the big leagues, an 11th round draft pick by the Giants. Back in 2018, he's 25 years old and he's putting together a career year, or he was down in Sacramento before they called him up to join the Giants on the 4th of July 
July in Arizona. He was hitting in Sacramento, 284 with an OPS of 1,043. He had a 409 OBP, and he led the Pacific Coast League with 21 home runs and 62 RBIs were second in all of that league. 21 home runs, he hit 20 all of last year. So while he's not a a 20-year-old prospect or a guy who's uh, uh, projected to be some big 40 home run guy, he was on that track. He was on that pace already down in Sacramento. So Giants got a guy with a little bit of pop who's going to spell them at third base. He can play some first. He can play some second. And this is a guy Giants fans all season long have been clamoring for to get him up to the big league level. So this is exciting stuff. Could be fun that David VR is a part of this team and a part of this lineup in the second half of the season, and that could help the Giants as far as versatility and maybe as far as some pieces that they need to add for depth. All right, I'm always poking around Major League Baseball and following games and following funny notes and cool things that happen that remind me of great moments throughout Giants history. And this week we had one uh, in a game between the White Sox and the Minnesota Twins. The White Sox are up to hit. They've got nobody out with runners on first and second. You know what I'm thinking? I'm never thinking this, actually. You start thinking double play as a fan. How about triple play? Except not only did the Twins turn a triple play to get out of the inning, they turned one that had never, ever happened in the history of baseball. And I'm talking based on how you score the triple play. There are unassisted triple plays, very few of them in baseball history. Troy Tulowitzki had one, and you need a crazy situation and a specific hit ball right at you in a a certain spot for all that to go down right. So what happens is fly ball to right center field. You've got uh, Byron Buxton, great center fielder for the Minnesota Twins, five-tool player, goes back against the wall, makes the catch, throws the ball into third base. The runners had advanced. The third baseman picks up the ball, tags the runner between second and third, then fires to first for the triple play. What's unique about it is there had never been in the history of baseball. Always blows my mind when the history of baseball comes up. It's like 140 years old. There had never been a triple play that was scored 8-5 one a triple play center fielder to third base to first base because triple plays happen on the infield so i thought why not go back listen to the last time the giants turned a triple play of their own do you remember veteran and and sort of journeyman reliever pitch for the a's keichi yabu was on the hill for the giants this happened back in 2008 and this is a traditional triple play a 5-4-3 kevin kuzman off of the padres is at the plate keichi yabu's on the mound giants are in some trouble until they turn a triple play. And Kuzminov, who will not be bunting, waiting on the first pitch. And here it is. And he hits a ground ball to third. Castillo's got it. He goes to second for one. The throw to third. Triple play! Not one, not two, but three on one pitch from Keiichi Yabu. And the crowd here is losing their mind. And around the horn, triple play. <laughs> Only thing cooler than that play was Dwayne Kuyper's call. I, I almost threw in the uh, the soundbite of the uh, the Minnesota Twins triple play, but it wasn't that cool of a call. We're so spoiled here with Dwayne Kuyper. Maybe my standards are just so high that nobody's ever going to reach Kruk and Kuyper and, and John and Dave. And uh, I'll even shout out to Joe Angel and Alon Simmons, some of the guys I got to hear when I was a kid. All right, uh, that's going to do it for our little recap of the week. But we're going to recap a little bit of the season, where we've been so far, where the Giants can go, what silver lining do you see, what positivity do you see what elements from the first half of this team show you that the Giants can make a push in the second half does it involve a couple more youngsters a couple of trades and who did we not see in the first half guys like Lamont Wade Jr at least not a lot of that we'll see in the second half hopefully a little bit more that will be impactful for this roster and here to talk about it with me is the great 
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Kerry Crowley. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Inside Giant Moments podcast, Kerry Crowley of the Bay Area News Group for years, the beat writer for the San Francisco Giants for the San Jose Mercury News, and an opportunity to run over some of the stuff from the first half of the Giants season. When we say first half, usually it's pre-All-Star game, but we're literally at the the one-half mark of 162, 81st game today. Kerry, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, doing really well, Adam. Really excited to be on this podcast and a different way to interact with Giants fans. And, uh, you know, I, I do miss it from my time on the beat. I was always responding to fans on Twitter, doing mailbags, answering questions. And that, that really is what it is for me because I grew up in San Francisco, grew up a Giants fan. So the opportunity to be on this podcast and talk to the diehard fans who, who listen every week, this is really cool. And I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like I, I was wondering that with you because uh, you were on the beat. Now you're, you're doing other stuff at the Merck, obviously still doing uh, pregame on weekends with Marty Lurie and Bill Lasky on KNBR 104.5 and 680. But uh, I'm wondering, like, you didn't cover other teams as a beat writer, I know, in in the major leagues. But in in terms of Giants fans, you talk about doing mailbags. That's like direct interaction, throwing out a line to fans, wondering what they're wondering about questions that you could ask players and coaches and the manager and whatnot. How was that interaction? Was that a fun thing? Or Giants fans, uh, you you get a lot of good content from them? I guess what I'm asking, Kerry, is are you just ripping off our uh, our fans of the organization? (laughs) I'll tell you this. It was a lot more fun in 2020. 21 than it was in 2017 the Giants lost 98 games Uh, 2021 was just it was probably the most fun season I've ever covered and I've actually covered sports dating back to 2012 I did five seasons of Arizona State football so I was engrossed in college football I did a little 49ers I I did a little Warriors when I worked at KMBR but Giants fans in 2021 the high level engagement questions that they would ask you know they want to know the bullpen pecking order they want to know why certain players are pinch hitting for other players in these situations what's taking place in the tunnel during batting practice it was completely unlike other fan bases and you know I'd interact with a ton of different writers I I have I'm very fortunate to have writer friends around the country covering different teams and they say you know their fan bases want to know about the starting pitcher and the shortstop and the center fielder and I'm saying Giants fans want to know about the entire 40-man roster and why a certain move affects this move and so it was just really fun to get engaged with those Giants fans and uh, to have those kind of kinds of conversations because it's the nitty-gritty nuances that make 162 game season so interesting and so captivating in, in my perspective as Marty Lurie likes to say on the pregame show it's the mosaic all coming together and so yeah I really did enjoy those interactions but yeah it, it got a little easier last year when they won 107 games that's for sure well yeah and everybody feels good and, and now we're actually getting sort of the first taste of adversity for this regime of, of Giants baseball and I'm talking under Scott Harris and, and Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler and it's not that they didn't face any when they first took over the team and obviously 2020 was adversity for everybody and, and we all remember how that season ends the uh, the Giants had an opportunity at the end of the year to get into the playoffs and, and sort of made that little that we would call that the second half surge the back 30 games of the 2020 <laughs> season but uh, now that there are expectations for this team because of the season they had last year it's a little bit different time right now so let's get into some of the stuff with this team this year so right now at right about the halfway point they'll play their 81st game tonight and they'll be right at halfway after this uh, you've covered the team as you mentioned for a number of years you've covered sports for a number of years baseball is such a marathon you called it the mosaic as Marty Lurie does what's your approach to assessing a team throughout a season and at which points in the season do you like to do so is it the one-third mark the halfway mark and and how 
much do you take those evaluations to heart knowing that there's still a whole half of a season to come? So it's not really sequential in, you know, 40 games, 80 games, 120 games. It's more you take inventory after 40 games because you get to the the quarter pole, even though that's the incorrect use of the quarter pole. I later learned after uh, terming it that for five years. But it is the <laughs> it is the quarter pole in terms of baseball writer lingo. So you take stock after 40 games. You look at a team's strength. You look at a weakness. You look at an emerging identity. And then you really do so again at the midway point of the season, 81 games, which is right where we are right now. And you take a look at, okay, what needs does a team need to address at the trade deadline? Is a team going to be a buyer or a seller? And then immediately after the trade deadline, so normally it's July 31st, this year it's August 2nd, you take a look and you say, this is the roster the rest of the way. Maybe you have one or two prospects coming up in this year for the Giants. I mean, I really wouldn't rule out Kyle Harrison coming up and helping in September if the Giants have an opportunity to do something special. Maybe Elliot Ramos gets some more run in September. But post-trade deadline, you really start to look at, okay, is this team playing for this October or... Or are they playing for future October? So are they calling up prospects who are going to make a difference in 2023, 2024? Or are they going to do so right now? And then kind of September 1st is when you do one final stock report of a team heading down the stretch run. And so there's just different markers throughout the season. And this is certainly one of the most important mile markers. And it's a mile marker that Giants fans may have some concern about with the way the team has played recently. But there's also recent teams. You look at the 2019 Washington Nationals. You look at the 2021 Atlanta Braves who kind of serve as indicators that what happens during the second half of the season is so much more important than what happens during the first half of the season. And there's plenty of time for a team to rectify its weaknesses, overcome some adversity, and really make the season worth watching in a way that maybe the 2021 season where the Giants didn't really hit many bumps in the road, Adam, maybe it wasn't as compelling from that perspective. Yeah, it's a great point because, as we point out, there's still a whole half of, the, of a season to go. And the Atlanta Braves, who won the title last year, redid their entire outfield at the trade deadline. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's something that would happen here, but you just don't know how seasons are going to play out, how injuries for other teams are going to have an impact. And it seems like now with the way teams run their organizations and 40-man roster maneuvering, we get like double the storylines throughout the season, yeah. right? With all the players that are coming up and going down, uh, who come up from the minors. I mean, some guys make their big league debuts. Is there a storyline from the first half of this season that you thought was the most fun to follow? I think it was the free agent additions of Carlos Rodon and Jock Peterson and how they fit into this Giants ecosystem. Because, look, there are moves that Farhan Zaidi, there are moves that every executive has made in their baseball careers that have gone wrong. You're not going to have a 100% hit rate, and if you did, you'd be the, the best executive in sports history. You like to hit on 50, 60, 70% of your moves. And for me, it was interesting because the Giants had opportunities last offseason to add a wide variety of different free agents, and uh, they took some flyers on, on maybe some guys Guys who had warts had uh you know had previous issues in their career for Carlos Rodon it was his inability to stay healthy for Jack Peterson it was his inability to hit left-handed pitching and uh, I go back to you know the Giants 14 and 7 start in the month of April and what Rodon initially did coming in with that 99 mile an hour fastball the wipeout slider and just immediately pairing with Logan Webb atop the rotation being one of the most fun one-two punches in baseball and then Jack Peterson uh, he could be the Giants first 30 home run hitter since Barry Bonds and he doesn't play every day because the Giants have managed his workload in a way to really maximize his matchups. I, I think that those two uh, players have been so fun to watch. And while, you know, there's other issues, you know, the defense hasn't been fun to watch. The bullpen hasn't been nearly as good as last year. There's certainly other storylines that have caught my eye. I think that every season when a team has success, you see under the radar players who you never expected to have an opportunity mm -hmm. or never expected to make a difference stepping up. And to me, 
out of the gates in spring training, you had the feeling that Luis Gonzalez might be one of those guys. And it's so clear, Adam, the Giants have missed his presence of late because this guy's just been an electric spark for this Giants team. He's been so good in the lineup. He's a classic throwback hitter. Look, he's not going to hit for a ton of power, but he is going to hit 300. He is going to get on base. He is going to do a wide variety of things that make the ball club a little bit better each and every day. And so it's the emergence of young players. And even in 2017, 2018, 2019, seasons that were quite hard for me to cover as a beat writer because they're just weren't that many silver linings. I always loved players living out their dream, making their major league debut, talking to their family members. And that's kind of what I miss about this season is not having the opportunity to be in the clubhouse every day, talking to Luis Gonzalez about a kid who's 26 years old and finally living this major league dream that he's been chasing for so long. Well, and you point out like it's fun to follow the story of them living out their dream, but it's even better when a guy like Gonzalez gets to the bigs and then has success, right? Yes. And, and hopefully sustained success. And the thing I've been pointing out about him, you know, I'm a Lamont Wade head, dude. You know, I love me. <laughs> My favorite player going right yeah, now. You were missing bobblehead day. Oh, no, I was there. I was out there on Saturday. I wasn't going to miss that for anything, man. Uh, so uh, with, with Luis Gonzalez, though, I'm a Luis Gonzalez enthusiast, dude. The dude is a sweet player. He's just kind of a ball player. He can steal you a bag. He can play all three outfield positions, mostly on the corners, obviously, is where they use him. You can bat him at the top of the lineup or at the bottom. He can get on base. He can draw a walk. He's a good contact guy. Was hitting for average early this year. So I'm with you. That, that's been one of the more fun elements to this season or storylines to this season. The hope is that he can get back and sort of solidify that left-handed hitting lineup. Okay, so right now, just outside the NL wildcard picture, and I know for Giants fans, it feels stressful because of the way the last two weeks have played out. They're only a couple of games out from that third wildcard spot. An extra team gets in. They're further back from the Dodgers and the Padres, of course. We'll get into that a little bit later. But they're not totally buried. So what were your expectations for this team coming into 22, uh, 2022, and how have they shifted at this point in the season? So to be honest with you, because last season, I mean, I, we would look around in the press box with some of my fellow beat reporters, Susan Slusser, Maria Gordado, Andy Baggerly, Alex Pavlovich, and we'd look around and say, this is just a like a once-in-a-generation type of team. There's no way they can replicate this type of success. You mentioned you're a Lamont Wade head. He's a, he's a great player. He had a breakout season last year, but he also had the best numbers in the ninth inning or later of almost any player in the last four decades. You just can't replicate that type of su success. So I was thinking, okay, this is probably an 88 to 90 to 92. Maybe if everything breaks well for this Giants team, a 95 win team. But I, I was expecting a, a pretty dramatic drop off. And then they go and they get off to this 14 and 7 start in the month of April. And I'm thinking, maybe they do have it in them to win 95 or 100 games. And I think that of late, we've seen this Giants team come back to earth a little bit, you know, play out toward our expectations from the preseason a little bit more. And uh, look, they may be closer to 500 right now. Who knows what happens at the trade deadline? If they're able to get out of this rut, then Farhan can make some moves. If they don't get out of this rut, then maybe Farhan makes some moves to prioritize 23 and 24 and you trade some guys and you're bringing in prospects who make the future rosters better. But it's interesting to me because last season was such an anomaly. It was a once-in-a-generation thing where the best division race in history unfolded that it was almost hard to create expectations for this team. And so I fluctuated big time in the preseason and spring training. I was going 87, 88, 89, 90, and not really able to settle on a final number. And I, I still, at this point in the season, Adam, I don't know where you stand. I can't settle on a final number right now. I, I could easily see this Giants team going on a run in the second half if they trade uh, for some, some difference makers, make some good baseball trades, 
winning 87 and 90 games. I could also see them, you know, prioritizing the future, trading some of the guys who are on one-year deals and winning 75 to 77 games. There's just a wide variety of outcomes for this team. And that's one of the reasons I, I'm still tuned in and still interested. And I know that I, I might be an outlier because I'm such a baseball nut and I follow the sport closely. I can tell you who the fourth and fifth outfielders on the Pittsburgh Pirates are, but I, I do wonder where you stand on this sort of a thing. Yeah, I'm with you. It's tough to predict always in baseball. And it's fun before the season to do your over-unders on, on win totals and stuff. And nobody knows where it's going to go. I mean, nobody had the Giants win in 107 games last year. And you point out it was totally an anomaly. But those things happen maybe more in the game of baseball than in any other professional sport. There's no chance this year that the Detroit Lions come out and win the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? It's just not <laughs> happening. There's always a chance that a team does what the Giants did, where you get career years from guys, you get uh, rejuvenated players, you get a new system put in place where everything just starts to click. And that's why with a season like this year, where a team is going through some adversity, like in your experience with covering the team, and you, you did with, with Bruce Bochy and some of the uh, the teams that had down years uh, a couple of years ago, in regards to like the manager and the coaching staff, how do they respond? What can you learn about them throughout a, a season where there's been more adversity like this? Is, is it about how they handle the ebbs and flows? What do you think we can learn about Gabe Kapler and his staff from this year? I think you'll learn a lot about his communication style and whether it's effective with veteran players in this Giants clubhouse because we've talked about this, Adam. There's a number of good stories on this 2022 Giants team. There's a number of players who've had a breakout season, but there are also players who are underperforming relative to expectations. There are also veteran players who haven't lived up to the lofty numbers that they've put up over the course of their careers. And so I think it can get a little easy in a 107-win season for everyone to get the message and for things to come across really clearly and for once you have sustained success in April, May, and June. That just flows in July and August. And when you don't hit extended adversity like the Giants didn't last year, uh, then of course your communication style is going to be lauded. But I do think that we're going to learn a lot about Gabe Kaplan and this coaching staff over the second half of the season, particularly the second half of the month of July. As you get closer to that trade deadline and as this Giants team lives in the area, the gray area, where you don't know if the front office is going to buy or sell and you're doing everything in your power to, to compel them to buy, to compel them to add to the roster, to have them have some conviction in your belief. It's really on the coaching staff and Gabe Kapler to convey the expectations, to manage the workload of players, to manage uh, the egos in that clubhouse because when things go wrong, as they have in recent weeks, it's on a good coaching staff and a good manager to lead the way out of it. And so I think that, you know, we saw Gabe Kapler do that in 2020 and that was a real test when the Giants got off to that 8-15 and 15 start. I think they blew three straight saves at one point in the month of July or August and all of a sudden people were questioning the hire and then the Giants had a much better second half of the season it was just a 60 game season and so we, we weren't able to we weren't able to learn a whole lot but I do think that we saw during the second half of the season that they managed the expectations they managed the negativity surrounding the club they managed fan concerns and they got better over the course of that season no they didn't make the playoffs but I learned a little bit then and I'm interested to see if they're able to have that carryover into 2022 because this 2022 season reminds me a lot more of 2020 than it does of 2021 just because I really do think that is a once-in-a-generation type of team. Yeah, but you're right. In 2020, I mean, this is the thing about baseball, especially now with the third wildcard team, is if you're close to 500, you're in the mix. And the Giants mm -hmm. right now, right around 500. I say in the mix, like you can get into the playoffs in that third wildcard spot, and then it's a best two of three. And by the way, if you've got Rodon and, and Logan Webb available and you don't need him in the last couple days of the season to try to get into the playoffs, and you get into a best two of three first-round series, that's a dangerous one, too, to have to go up against, certainly. So we'll see how all that plays out. So despite some of the poor defense, some of the periodic offensive lulls that they've gone through, some of the dry spells. Is there anything you saw from the team in the first half that stands out that gives you hope for a playoff push after the All-Star break? 
I, I think what you just said right there in a Logan Webb and a Carlos Rodon, because I think right now the, the tendency for every team in July, and this is not just true of the San Francisco Giants. This is true of the Los Angeles Dodgers who are in first place in the NOS. This is true of the New York Yankees who are having that once in a generation type of season. Yes, it's been that good in New York this year. The fan base in the month of July always tends to focus on how can we get better because you've got that final opportunity coming up to do so with the trade deadline. So I look at that as an opportunity opportunity for the Giants to add, much like Giants fans or Dodgers fans or Yankees fans are looking at that as an opportunity to address their weaknesses. And so I think when you're taking stock of a team right now, it's looking at your strengths, looking at your weaknesses and saying, where do you get better? And so I think that it's a weird way of conveying this, but you almost look at the things that have gone wrong for the Giants. You look at the injuries, you look at the negativity, you look at the defensive woes that they've had, the base running miscues, the mental mistakes. And you say, hey, if you get those corrected, there are enough performers on this team to kind of thrive during the second half of the season or thrive during a three-game postseason series or thrive during a five-game NLDS and and rectify things. Because you look at the World Series champions from 2019 and 2021, Adam, and it, you know, the Washington Nationals were not picked by anyone in the month of July. They were still recovering from that 19 and 31 start. The Atlanta Braves were not picked by anyone. Ronald Acuna Jr. had gone down with an injury. Alex Anthopoulos had to completely reshape that outfield, as you mentioned. And so it'll be fascinating to me to see what Farhan and Scott do to address the issues that the Giants have had. And you brought up the idea of Logan Webb and Carlos Rodon in a playoff series. If the Giants can maybe get one more starter at this year's deadline, I think that they could be a team that, hey, if you're the Padres, if you're the Mets, if you're a number of different teams in the NL, you might not want to face the Giants in that three-game series. Much like I thought that the Cardinals were going to be a tough opposition for the Dodgers last year in the wild card game. They got Max Scherzer out of that game early and really gave the Dodgers a run for their money early in that game. I don't think the Giants would be a team that you'd want to face because of that one-two combination. You'd want to get into the bullpen right now, but who knows? Maybe Farhan adds one or two veteran guys, and you know some of these guys and Tyler Rogers and Dom Leon, they start to pitch much like they did last year down the stretch where they were really helping this Giants squad. So I, I almost look at the season, look at the negatives and see how can you fix that and then try to address the the positives and reasons for optimism. Yeah, it's a good point. And uh, and when you're you're coming up on the deadline here, and the Giants do have assets. They could decide to move some stuff if they thought they could get a piece. I would think that if the Giants do make a trade, and we'll talk some deadline in just a second, if they do make a trade to add somebody, I think the hope would maybe even be you're getting somebody who's going to be here beyond just this season. Maybe someone yeah. who's got a couple of years uh, and some versatility on the, uh, the infield as well because uh, Evan Longoria, potentially a free agent after this year, Brandon Belt, there's still a lot of question marks around the infield, and you could maybe help that out a little bit at the trade deadline so for for you at this point in the season what's the high watermark of the year for you what's the uh the best moment for the Giants this year maybe not an individual <laughs> moment but where was a point where it was the high watermark and you go they can be that team again uh I don't know if, if it was the high watermark but maybe the game where they beat the Milwaukee Brewers and Jock Peterson hit the home run while silencing a fan I think Corbin Burns started that game for Milwaukee in Milwaukee it was at the end of a really tough rigorous four city road trip for the Giants and that was just kind of the one-off game where they were making it up and I thought that that told us a lot about the character of the team and then the other one to me is that epic game against the Mets I don't know if it ended 13-12 or uh 12 to 11 but Jock hitting three home runs in that game incredible. to me yeah that, that was like one of the best games I've seen in the last decade and last year we watched game after game where the Giants came back so uh, those are two of the moments that just stand out from this season and and, you know if you're the Giants you think about those games and you you try to you you try to focus on those moments during the second half of the season or in the lead up to the trade deadline when you're trying to convince this front office to buy and build around the core that this team already has and convince them that you have a playoff caliber roster that can win in October because uh, you know if you've done it once or twice who says you can't do it more often yeah I, I was 
was out at that game, dude, the uh, the game against the Mets. That was, and I, I think I threw this out there, of all the games I've been to at Oracle Park, uh, it's like beginning to end vibe of the game. Like I was there when Bonds broke the record. That was obviously a lot of fun, the buildup. I was at the last game Bonds ever played. That was a weird game. That vibe of that game yeah. was just a strange game. End of the season, Giants weren't going to the playoffs, and Bonds wasn't going to go on the trip to Colorado to end the year. I was at the Matt Cain perfect game. But as far as vibe in the stadium goes, I think my top three games, probably that one, one of the best regular season, wow. if not the best regular season game I've ever seen in Oracle Park. As you said, the Giants had the lead. They blew it. I think it was a 6-2 lead. They ended up uh, giving up the lead, then coming back with another home run. Then Jock hits his third home run, and they nailed it down. The other two, I think, would have to be, I think I'm going Lincecum. Uh, game one, 2010 division oh, series. The 15 against the Braves? Strikeouts. It was an incredible game. 15 yeah, strikeouts. Maybe one of the best pitch games in Major League history 14. that wasn't a no-hitter or perfect game. Yeah, he, uh, well, he threw a one-hitter. He outdueled Derek yeah. Lowe. And uh, that was sort of like, whoa, he's arrived. I mean, we knew he'd arrived because he's won the Cy Youngs. But the Giants had arrived, it seemed like, as a team. And then the other one would have been last year, game one against the Dodgers. The Buster Posey home run moment. Logan oh. Webb on the hill. I, I don't know that I'd ever felt that vibe in the stadium before I'll last year. I'll also add in game 162 last year when the Giants oh, yeah. Yeah. beat the Padres and, and were able to secure that division title because Logan Webb on the mound that day. I mean, that game and game one of the NLDS, if that didn't give you long-term confidence in Logan Webb, I don't know how you can have confidence in any player uh, in Major League Baseball because what he did in those two moments, I mean, those will those will stick with me for a long, long time. Yeah, Logan Webb's like, what, do you need a home run on top of it? He's <laughs> yeah, a, he's exactly. A, he's the last National League pitcher to hit a home run. How about that? Kind of cool. Uh, before the designated hitter was implemented in both leagues. All right, give me your first half Giants MVP. Who's the guy that was the uh, the most valuable guy for the Giants in the first half, starter or a uh, pitcher or a uh, fielder? I'll go, I'll go with Jock Peterson. I will go with Jock Peterson because he's the home run leader. I think that he's provided the the power in the biggest moments for the Giants this season. I think that if the Giants are going to be a successful team, if they're going to be a playoff team, it has to be someone else during the second half of the season. And that's no disrespect to Jock. I just think that you need more contributors around him. And it's always tough for me. I always felt on MVP ballots that I never wanted to put a starting pitcher down. No disrespect to Logan Webb or Carlos Rodon for what they've accomplished. But uh, I think you need somewhat closer to an everyday player. So uh, if the Giants get Brandon Belt turned around, if they get Brandon Crawford turned around, if they get Mike Yastrzemski turned around. If Lamont Wade Jr. is able to stay healthy during the second half of the season, all of those guys, if they're in contention for the second half MVP, the Giants are going to be a much better place than where they're at right now. Okay, uh, give me the guy who was either hurt or didn't have an excellent first half or the first three months of the year that you think is poised for a big second half or could have a resurgent second half. Lamont Wade Jr. He was hurt for so much of this, mm-hmm. and I love his swing. I love what the Giants have done with the swing since he came over from the Minnesota Twins. You said it. You're a Lamont Wade Jr. head. I fully believe that the version of him that we saw last season, he can replicate that in future years and continue to be a productive major league outfielder. That was not a one-off you saw in 2021. Yeah, and you can see that based on the, the little stints or spurts we've seen over from this year. The first time he came off the injured list, he showed up and hit a couple of home runs, and or a, a home run, I think, in his first game back, and he hit one again on Lamont Wade bobblehead day last Saturday. Uh, we've seen a handful of prospects early in the season come up and help out. Uh, that we've Some of them we've been waiting to see get here. I mean, Joey Bart obviously started the year as the starting catcher. Elliot Ramos, Sean Jelly, David Villar. Who do you hope to see more of at the back end of this season? Give me a guy who maybe doesn't have to be on the 40-man, but who do you hope to, to see later this year or debut later this season? It's Kyle Harrison, without question. Named to the Futures game on Wednesday this week. Kyle Harrison, De La Salle, 20 years old, local guy, grew up rooting for the Giants. Third round pick in 2020. Uh, incredible strikeout rate throughout his minor league career. Uh, look, if he's coming out of the bullpen in one inning stints, if he makes a spot start in the month of September, if he throws one pitch for the Giants this year, Copes, I'll be tuned in. Yeah, uh, I actually have, I play a lot of uh, video games, MLB The Show. I, I made sure I drafted him and I brought him up. Another guy's in my rotation. <laughs> 
maybe the Giants will have him up there soon. And he could be here as soon as this year if they maybe need a little uh, help or a spell in the starting rotation, which is a little thin right now, or maybe even uh, early next year. We'll see what happens. Okay, so what's best case scenario for this team when we get to the deadline on August 2nd? What position do you see them adding depth to on this roster? Start, starting pitcher, catcher, and outfield. I, I think that, uh, you know, they've got enough pieces in the infield. If Tommy Listella stays healthy, if Wilmer Flores stays healthy, if Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt can, can perform better than they did in the first half. I don't know that you need to add an infielder. If you add a bat in the outfield, if you add a catcher, veteran guy with Kurt Casale's injury, that's going to hurt this Giants team. And then you add one more dynamic starting pitcher. I think this Giants team's in a better spot. And it'll be interesting to see what Farhan and Scott do with the deadline. Okay, uh, is there a moment in the second half, like an event or a series or something you're looking forward to? Only saw the Dodgers, I believe, one time. Uh, that, By the way, that would be my high watermark of the year for the Giants, the sweep of the Dodgers. And since then, it's kind of when things got a little wonky. They showed that they could play with, with some of the better teams. They went out and they swept the Dodgers at home. That was a, a great series. I was at the Friday night game. It was an intense one, and they kind of showed resilience. They had some close games where they ended up having to make plays at the end of both game two and game three of that series, and then they've just been kind of that one or two plays short in each ball game that they've lost since then. So that's probably my high watermark. But second half of the season, uh, going to see the Dodgers come to town again. There's a Will Clark jersey retirement. What are you looking forward to just as a fan at the ballpark? So keep an eye on this stretch. Starting September 16th, and this rolls through the first week of October, the Giants finish their season against all NL West opponents. Copes, they could be a 500 team on September 16th, and they could still make the playoffs if they take care of business against their own division. I think that that is going to be the stretch that makes or breaks this season. I know that in the moment, we tend to focus on the losing streaks. We tend to focus on the poor defensive play. And look, there's been a lot of it. It's been ugly. It's been hard to watch at times. But if you get to September 16th and you're still mathematically in this race, you've got the Dodgers for three. Then you've got seven against the Rockies and the D-backs. Then you've got six against the Rockies and D-backs at home. You finish with three against the Padres on the road. That could be a really fun, exciting stretch for Giants fans if this team is able to, you know, capture some magic and take care of business. By the way, those are like the schedules you pray for. You know what I mean? Oh, like, absolutely. When, when you start looking at your schedule at the end of the year and you're like, man, I got to see like the Cardinals, like the Mets are coming to town. When I see, when I see uh, Diamondbacks and Rockies, I start licking my chops. So hopefully the Giants can get right uh, uh, by that time in the season. By the way, did you see what the Dodgers schedule looks like last week of the season? I did not. They're, so you know how they've had to make up some games at the beginning of the year. Uh, they missed two series, right? So the Giants actually on Thursday had that wedged in Padres game. I think they play a doubleheader later this season. So they've had to make up these games. I think they play an extra game uh, against the Brewers as well Ooh. later this year because they already did the one stop off on that four city road trip. The uh, the Dodgers because of the scheduling, uh, because of the lockout at the start of the year, I believe and we'd have to check, it's maybe six but I believe it's seven consecutive games at home against the Rockies. That's how the Dodgers won. And it's like how, how sick of those teams, how, how sick of each other are they going to be by the time that thing wraps up? Yeah, I think that in that situation, if you're either one of those teams, you're just hoping that no one gets hurt. And, and, and I mean by, you know, no one's starting to throw at one another because that's what can happen when baseball teams in the majors play against each other seven in a row. Yeah, like, I'm just getting sick of seeing this guy, man. This yeah, guy. Exactly. By the way, how about the series some of those guys may have? A seven-game set. Guys are going to hit like eight home runs in the series or something. Like one guy <laughs> could have it and say, drive in 20 runs in one seven-game series. Records will be set. We know that much. <laughs> what, what do you think of the Dodgers and the Padres? right now Padres are extremely dangerous they don't even have Fernando Tatis Jr. they're a better team than they were last year they're a better coach team uh, with Bob Melvin at the helm this year but they're certainly not getting the hype that they were getting 
two seasons ago entering last year, right? And then they, they fell apart at the end of last season, didn't get into the playoffs, and, and maybe it's a good thing for them that they don't have as much hype. The Dodgers are obvious contenders, but they don't feel as unstoppable as I thought they would be entering this year. Maybe it's just because uh, comparable to, like, the Yankees. The Yankees are just unbelievable with what they're doing. But what do you think of those two teams right now ahead of the Giants, the Dodgers and the Padres? Yeah, I think that the Dodgers are still the favorites, and deservedly so with what they did during the first half of this season, Copes, and to win the NL West and maybe to represent the National League in the World Series this year. But to me, they don't have as deep of a starting rotation as they once did. I think that injuries have eaten up that rotation. So it'll be interesting to see how they address their starting pitching at the trade deadline because uh, you know that they never sit quiet. You know that they're always looking to make a blockbuster move, and you know that payroll is never an issue for LA. So I don't want to judge them too early. And with the San Diego Padres, I have no thoughts on that team until AJ Preller gets to August 2nd in the trade deadline because he is one of the busiest, most active general managers in baseball. And whether he's making the team actively better or actively worse, what he does at the trade deadline usually steals headlines, much like he does during the offseason. He just can't help himself. He always wants to make a move. And this year, there are going to be a number of different moves to make, whether it's addressing that lineup, adding one more arm to that bullpen. But the Padres could get really interesting. And I love the fit with Bob Melvin as the manager there. I think that he did a great job in Oakland. I think that he's finally got a Padres team. It would not surprise me at all if the Padres hit their stride in the playoffs this year and Bob Melvin was able to guide them. Because to me, they've always lacked the right manager ever since getting rid of Bruce Bochy. And I think that Bob Melvin could be that guy in San Diego. Yeah, former Giant. I've always liked rooting for him. I was in Arizona, obviously. I think he was up in Seattle also for a stint too before he went to the A's, but but really made his mark uh, with the Oakland A's and had a really, really nice run there. But uh, that makes them more dangerous. Like I love Bob Melvin. I like rooting for him, but it, it sort of scared me that he went over to San Diego. But because this is a Giants podcast, Kerry, and, uh, and I'll take my shots where I can get him in, would anybody, <laughs> would anybody be surprised if the Padres fell apart? And you you know what I love to say. History repeats itself. One of my favorite sayings, Kerry. Same old Drays, man. Same old Drays. Same old Drays. Krista Norfia leading off. Yeah, right. Kevin Kevin Kuzminov wedged in there somewhere, probably, too. (laughs) Chase Uh, Headley playing the hot corner. We can go forever. Phil Nevins out there. Uh, You got probably. Ryan Klesko. Yep, yep, there you go. Brian Giles action. Can I have you a Khalil Green, maybe, over at shortstop (laughs) with the uh, the surfer boy hair, uh, the uh, the San Diego Padres of our youth? All right. I always like to wrap it up with a fun one, sometimes a trivia thing, something that uh, can you remember a moment? One of those. I'm going to give you a roster game here. So because you were on the beat for so long and it was your job to kind of cover this stuff, remember the transactions. And are there guys like that for you? Like, do you remember certain guys pop up and you're like, oh yeah, they acquired him for X player and uh, and then he did this and then they traded him for another player a year later. Is it because you think because you covered the team, your grasp of the transactions, you've got certain guys that stand out? Well, I, I better not say yes and then miss some of these answers to, to what you're about to ask me. But yeah, like, you know, 2019 when Corbin Joseph joins the San Francisco Giants in St. Louis, uh, had a nice conversation with him in the clubhouse after he was claimed off of waivers. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you, you don't forget stuff like that. Yeah, you don't. For, I did. You mentioned Corbin Joseph. I was like, wow, that's it. I'm, I'm can, can I give you Enderson Franco pitching oh, yeah. a key oh. inning at Fenway Park and Bruce Bochy's 2000th career win? Unbelievable. Enderson Franco. You're, I mean, these are these are names. That, I mean, these are the kind of guys that, that you need to help win Every year you bring in guys to spell you. It's about building a 40 man, not about building a uh, 25 man, but you do forget about some of these guys. And maybe that'll be part of our bonus question today in our final (laughs) fun one round. All right, here we go. Five different catchers have suited up for the Giants this year. Can you name all five? Well, it's Joey Bart. Austin wins, Yermin Mercedes, Kurt Casale, and Mike Papierski. Wow, that was it. Not even a, not even a breath in between. Mike Papierski is the one that got me because he played. Uh, I think it was just a few games here. He wasn't here for all that long. All right, so you Astros got, legend Mike Papierski. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Since you got those so easily, let's go to uh, this other one. There are two position players this year who have appeared for the Giants in just one game 
Can you name the players? Oh, goodness. This one's going to be really tough for me. Position players who have appeared in just one game for the San Francisco Giants this year. I don't think I can do this. I uh, don't think either either one of these is going to stand out to me. Can I give you a hint? The, yeah, one, of of the one of the guys wore the same number as Michael Papirski. <laughs> that number, 71. Oh, gosh. I, I'm i I'm still lost. Oh, right. uh, Mike Ford. Mike yeah, Ford. there you go. I knew there you'd get go. that one. And then here's one that, that stunned me the other day. Uh, somebody threw this one out at me. Uh, Kai Tom, the left fielder. He came up for just one game, played <laughs> did, one did, game did, with the did Giants. Did he pinch run? He might have pinched. I think he, yeah, I, I think he appeared as a pinch runner. He actually had one at bat. He did have one plate appearance earlier this season. So former, uh, I know he played for the A's for a little while. He's in Pittsburgh, too. But he's one of those depth guys the Giants have down there uh, in AAA. So uh, wow. the two guys who played one game, yeah. Mike Ford and Kai Tom. And then also you got all five of those catchers. Kerry, it's always fun talking Giants ball with you, man. Hit the halfway point here. Uh, we got a whole back end of the season, and the Giants, for as, as frustrating as the last couple of weeks have been, they're still in the in the thick of things. They still have an opportunity to go on a little run, and trade deadline time could be an exciting one. Yeah, it should be a really fun month of July, and I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Copes. Great stuff from Kerry Crowley. Make sure you're reading him in the Bay Area News Group, San Jose Mercury News, and listening to him on weekends before Giants games all season long on KNBR 104.5 and 680. That's going to do it for us today, but we will be back next week. Make sure you subscribe and follow the Inside Giant Moments podcast wherever it is you're listening to us so you don't miss a single episode all season long. Thank you to Kerry Crowley. Thank you to Kelsey, our producer. You've been listening to the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm Adam Copeland. We'll talk to you next week. Swing and a draw! Home run for Brandon Crawford. This. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes, strikes again. again. And he felt was all over it. The captain. Inside Giant Moments. It's headed for the bay. The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.